We're going to do Jeremiah 36 tonight. Lord willing, time willing, next week we'll do Jeremiah 37 and 38 and probably pick up the pace here a little bit. Um, But chapter 36 is kind of a separate little story and it works in real nice with some of the stuff we're talking about. Now there's some ongoing themes here that have happened in the book of Jeremiah. And it's not that I ever want to skip over those ongoing themes, but we've been in Jeremiah for quite some time. So you've heard these points before. One of these points with Jeremiah is the consequences of speaking the truth. It is not easy, it is not fun to speak the truth. You may have a loved one in your family that is doing something that is not lining up biblically. And you may have be burdened by what they're doing. It's difficult to go to someone you care about and love and say, I love you enough to tell you that this action is going to hurt you, going to harm you. Jeremiah had to do that, and Jeremiah suffered the consequences many times. As we said in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah did not really have much of a revival following him with speaking the truth. In fact, he got thrown into prison a lot. Now, there's another thing that comes up here, is this idea of judgment. Now, as we always say here, anytime you see judgment, you also see grace. So, this chapter is a chapter about Jeremiah writing this scroll out that's then going to be delivered to the king. And as it's delivered to the king, it's a scroll saying the judgment that's coming. Well, judgment is a difficult thing to talk about. It'd be much easier if we could all just get together and we could all look at each other and say, Wow, you're doing great spiritually, you're doing great spiritually. No one's stumbling, no one's struggling in the Lord. Amen, let's move forward. We're all stumbling, we're all struggling. No one likes to call out sin, no one likes to point that stuff out, no one wants to talk about judgment. But these are aspects that have to be dealt with. Our our actions have consequences, and that's Jeremiah's message here. Israel's actions have consequences, and that consequence is going to be judgment. Now, once again, there's always grace. I cannot stress this to you enough. If the only thing you see in the Bible is the angry God that lives upstairs that doesn't like people, you are missing out on God's nature. Look at verse 3 of Jeremiah 36. It may be the house of Judah. We hear all the adversities which I propose to bring upon them, that everyone may turn from his evil way, that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. That's God's heart. Listen to what I will do. Listen to the judgment that I will bring. And as you hear this, repent and change. Look at verse 7. It may be that they will present their supplication before the Lord, and everyone will turn from his evil way. For great is the anger and the fury that the Lord has pronounced against this people. That's God's heart. Jeremiah, take this scroll, write out this judgment, present this scroll to the people, to the leaders, to the king. Hopefully they hear what this judgment will be and they will repent. That's God's heart. Same heart that's still here today. We will tell you about the realities of hell, not to scare you, but to warn you because we love you. Same thing that Jeremiah is doing. Now, a little bit of background, verse 1 of Jeremiah 36. It says, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of Jehoiakim that the son of Josiah, king of Judah, that the word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying... Now, just some quick reminders here. This idea of Jehoiakim, he's the third to last king of Judah. Jeremiah is not necessarily written in chronological order. We've been talking a lot about Zedekiah. Zedekiah actually comes after Jehoiakim here. So this is the third to last king of Judah... This Nebuchadnezzar has already taken over Israel. He's not completely destroyed them yet, so now they're a vassal state. So this guy is king in name, but he's really just a vassal state of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what's going on. The destruction of Jerusalem is still coming. So even though they've been defeated by Babylon, they're going to rebel here in a little bit, and that's not going to go real well. So Jeremiah is given this vision from the Lord, given these words... And he's supposed to, verse 2, write it down. 
So Jeremiah takes it, writes it down. Now God says you're supposed to take this and you're supposed to give this to the people of Israel. Problem is verse 4. Jeremiah can't. So he calls this guy by the name of Barak. And he says, Barak, come help me here. You take this scroll and look at it says in verse 4. Then Jeremiah called Barak, the son of Neriah. And Barak wrote on a scroll of a book at the instruction of Jeremiah all the words with the Lord which he had spoken to him. And Jeremiah commanded Barak saying, I am confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. Now, why can't Jeremiah go into the house of the Lord? Depending on your translation, some of your translations say, I am restricted. Some of your translations basically say, I'm not allowed. We don't know for sure, but we can piece together. The last few times that Jeremiah went to the temple, it didn't really go good. It looks like the temple people are saying, Jeremiah, please don't visit us. I was just in a restaurant the other day that had the big sign that says, we refuse the right to whatever, serve people. Well, the temple basically said, Jeremiah, the doors are closed to you. So if Jeremiah started walking towards the temple, the temple guard probably would have stopped him and said, you're not allowed in. So Jeremiah says, okay, I'm going to write this down, give this to Baruch. Baruch's going to go take this and read this to the people. Now, that is where we're going to start here. What I want to do is this concept of speaking the truth. Now, I know we've talked about this, so bear with me. I think this is so vital. In the world we live in, you don't see enough people speaking the truth. We water things down. We're afraid to step on people's toes. We're afraid to call sin, sin. We're afraid to say that that action is wrong because we don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt feelings. We don't want to lose friendships. We don't want to damage relationships with kids or grandkids or aunts or uncles, fill in the blank. We have a responsibility to speak the truth. Now, it's important to note the balance of that. What's the verse we always quote out of Ephesians? Speak the truth in love. As you've heard me say, I've seen people speak the truth without love. And I've also seen people speak love without truth. You need to have both. Jeremiah is going to speak the truth, and it's going to be done loving. We've already read verse 3. We've already read verse 7. We know God's heart. He wants them to repent. So what's going to happen here? The first thing you see is verse 6. Clear communication. Verse 6. You go, therefore, and read from the scroll which you have written at my instruction, the words of the Lord, and the hearing of the people in the Lord's house on the day of fasting. And you shall also read them in the hearing of all Judah who come from their cities. It is clear. It is concise. Go read this. Present this. How does that apply to us? 1 Peter 3.15 says that you should be ready to give a defense of the gospel to anybody who asks you. If somebody would come up to you, And ask you, are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? We should be able to clearly communicate an answer to that. There's this one program that I would like to watch. And basically this program is this idea of of Christians calling in and talking to non-Christians, atheists if you will. And so what happens is these Christians call in and they are asked what I think, and I'm not trying to be judgmental here, pretty level one Christian questions. And you see these people that claim to be Christians, they can't communicate clearly what they believe and why they believe it. And then what happens, and I hear this a lot, I get a phone call from somebody and they're like, hey, can you talk to my fill-in-the-blank, my cousin? Sure, what about? Well, they want to know this. Now, I don't mind answering Bible questions. I love answering Bible questions. But I'm going to be honest. Your cousin knows you. Your cousin has an emotional relationship with you. Your cousin doesn't know me. There will be more fruit from you answering those questions to your cousin. Now, if you get the one you can't answer, don't be afraid to call. But we want to be able to communicate clearly what we believe, why we believe. And just think about that. If someone comes up to you and says, 
Are you a Christian and why are you a Christian? Can you communicate clearly to them? An answer. And when I also say communicate clearly, I also mean in a clear time frame. I've seen people communicate why they're a Christian and two hours later, they're still telling me why they're a Christian. How about just a simple explanation of who Jesus is to you? You see this with Jeremiah. It's a clear communication on what God has told him to. Now note how Jeremiah gave this message. Jeremiah gave this message here in a very difficult time. Verse 5, I'm confined. I cannot go into the house of the Lord. This guy was going through a difficult time. This guy was not permitted to be in the temple. That's kind of a big deal for a good Jewish boy. He wasn't allowed to be there. Turn if you go to the book of Acts real quick. Acts 16. I see too many Christians base their witness and base what they believe off of what's happening in their life. So if everything's going good in your life, God is amazing, you raise your hand in worship, you read extra devotions, and you want to tell everybody about Jesus. Things aren't going good in your life, what's the point of coming to church? What's the point of talking? What's the point of praying? We base too much on our experiences in life on how we relate to God. God is good no matter what happens, whether you get the job or don't get the job, whether you get the girl or don't get the girl, whether you get the good report or you get the bad report, God is still good. And we need to serve sometimes through the struggle. I have too many Christians that when the going is good, they are the best witness you can imagine. You want to record their testimonies and you want to send them on a speaking tour across the United States. But when the going gets bad, you can't find them anywhere. They just give up on God. See, right here we have this wonderful example of Paul and Silas. And we have to get a little bit of background here. Acts 16, we'll pick it up in verse 16. What happens is there's a slave girl that's possessed. The slave girl possessed, they're following Paul Silas around, verse 17, yelling out, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now that's a little bit of a hindrance to ministry. Imagine me trying to teach up here, and all of a sudden I got this girl behind me just screaming out, verse 17, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. Now this girl's demon-possessed. Now why in the world would Satan allow this girl to be speaking the truth? Because people wouldn't be focusing on what she said. They'd be focusing on her attributes and on her actions, which would then actually make Paul and Silas look bad because the crazy girl seems to be lining up with Paul and Silas. Well, finally, after days, verse 18, Paul, I love this in verse 18, depending on your translations, mine says, greatly annoyed. I think Paul's one of those guys that if he was in the present day church, you would respect Paul, you would look up to Paul. But you really probably want to want to be Paul's friend. I just don't know if Paul came across as a friendly guy. Verse 18, he got annoyed. There's a great teaching point there. You're allowed to get annoyed as a Christian. Just don't let the annoyance control you. Verse 18, he gets annoyed. He casts out the demons. Great, amen. Well, the problem is all the people that were making money off these girl, this girl, they now are upset at Paul and Silas. Because they were using this demonic force for money. Verse 16, fortune telling. So what happened is they get really mad at Paul and Silas. They come and try to attack Paul and Silas. Verse 22, the multitude rose up together against them. The magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. So just put this in perspective. Here's Paul and Silas. They're witnessing. They just got beat. They just got stripped. They're now thrown in prison. What do we see in verse 25? At midnight, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What a witness. 
They weren't singing for themselves. They were singing for others to hear them. Now, the point is, serving through the struggle. See, God came to Jeremiah and said, write the scroll down and send it to the people. Jeremiah could have said, me? I'm not even allowed to go to the temple. I'm stuck here. Send somebody else. Paul and Silas, verse 25, they could have been moaning and whining and complaining. Who are we to get beaten? Why did we get beaten? We didn't do anything wrong. I know too many Christians that as soon as the going gets tough, God gets pushed off to the side. If you serve through the struggle, you have a stronger, greater witness than you can ever imagine. I always tell people when you're battling discouragement or depression, one of the best things you could do is find a ministry and go serve in it. Because it helps you to focus on others and not the problems in your own life. It'd been easy for Jeremiah to say, woe is me. It'd be easy for Paul and Silas to say, woe is me. No, they served through it. God blessed it. And amen to that. So, when it comes to speaking the truth, the first point is clear communication. The second point is serving through the struggle. Now, before we get off into the other stuff here, any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered here thus far? All right, yeah, Rose. That's a good line. Forget that. I just wrote that down. I was giving you credit. Big X. Rose stole a good point. Yeah, we are. And, and that's, that's, it really is a wonderful point. Sometimes we're afraid to speak truth. I have to work with this person. I don't want to have a bad relationship. I have to live with this person. This person's my child. This person's my aunt. This person's my grandson. Fill in the blank. I don't want to lose this relationship by taking a stand for what's right. And really what you're doing is just compromising on truth. And, and the best thing we could give somebody in a difficult situation is truth. Because, to be quite honest, the reason they're probably in that situation is because they weren't following the truth to start with. we got to love them enough to speak the truth, and you, and you respond in love. cannot stress that enough. It's in love. I care enough about you to tell you this action is going to hurt you and your family. That's love. Anybody else have anything before we move on? Okay. So, clear communication. You serve through the struggle. Look at all the different responses to this letter. First of all, you have Baruch, who has this obedience. He does it. He writes it down. He goes to the temple in Jeremiah 36, and guess what he does? Verse 8, 9, and 10. He reads it to him. I don't think that would be easy to do. I don't think that would be easy to do in any way whatsoever. Is this guy goes, and he's just obedient. This guy is one of those little silent little saints of the Bible. You don't hear a lot about him. You don't know a lot about him. But he's obedient. We need more people like him. Now, what's the other reactions to people? Well, the first group that hears this after the people are the next level ups. These would be the people that serve the king. And all their names are mentioned there in verse 12. And I would try to pronounce them, but I'm not even going to attempt it. They're all there in verse 12. They hear it. And what happens then? Verse 16. Now it happened when they had heard all the words that they looked in fear from one to another and said to Baruch, We will surely tell the king of all these words. They were receptive. That is important. 
Now they finally get a chance to go to the king. What's the king going to do? Verse 20, And they went to the king and to the court, but they stored the scroll in the chamber of Elishamah, the scribe, and told all the words in the hearing of the king. So the king said Jehuda to bring the scroll, and he took it from Elishamah, the scribe's chamber. And Jehuda read it in the hearing of the king and in the hearing of all the princes who stood beside the king. Now the king was sitting in the winter house in the ninth month with a fire burning in the hearth before him. And it happened when Jehuda had read three or four columns that the king cut it with the scribe's knife, cast in the fire, and was on the hearth until all the scroll was consumed in the fire that was on the hearth. Okay, the king didn't want to hear it, obviously. I think that point comes across pretty clearly there. Verse 24. Yet they were not afraid, nor did they tear their garments, which would show mourning, would show repentance, the king or any of his servants who heard all these words. Now, here's the simplest point that I could ever make to you. Guess what? When you clearly present truth, some people are going to be obedient, some people are going to be moved by it, and some people just aren't going to care. That's just the truth. As Christians... We get way too worked up. I went to this co-worker. I was prayed up. I was ready. And I I communicated the gospel to him. And and what happened? Nothing. Okay, move on. You don't get it. Nothing happened. No, I do get it. Jesus spoke to tens of thousands of people at one time. Sometimes no one cared. Sometimes you're going to get the brewer that is obedient and enjoy that moment. It was someone hears you, understands, and says, I want to make changes in my life. Amen. To be quite honest, those are few and far between. You're going to sometimes get the next group that's going to hear. It may even impact them a little bit. But is it going to bring them to obedience? I don't know. Time will tell. But you're also going to get the third group that just flat out rejects. I've shared this story with you before. I remember when I first got saved... And I just thought the gospel message was the most amazing thing in the world. And I would tell anybody about Jesus, whether they wanted to hear it or not. And I would literally be able to shove a Bible down someone's throat. I was just going to do it. And I distinctly remember one time speaking to someone. And we were sitting there and I explained to them clearly. Heaven, hell, salvation, Jesus, etc. And you know what they said? They said they weren't interested. And I did not know what to do. They rejected I thought, how can someone reject this? People reject things all the time. Don't take it personally. Don't. Flip your sheets over here real quick. Don't take it personally. We're going to skip the do not grow weary. We'll get to that one in just a second. Don't take it personally. What what was uh, Jeremiah's great response? Well, in verses 27 through 32, guess what he did? He just rewrote the scroll. I love Jeremiah. He didn't go and whine and mope. When Baruch came back and said, they tore your scroll up and burned it. Fine, I'll write another one. You know what? Your co-worker rejects you. Lord, open up another door and I'll talk to him some other time. You finally sit down and talk to that family member about the truth. They reject it. Okay, fine. I'll wait to another opportunity and I'll do it. You don't take it personally. Look at these verses. 1 Samuel 8, 7. The Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. See, in the context of that verse, Samuel was pleading with the people saying, You don't want a king. Your king is God. God finally said to Samuel, Samuel, don't take it personal. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. What did Jesus say in Luke 10? Look at your next verse. He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. He who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. I don't get rejected. Jesus gets rejected. I I can't take it personally. Every single Sunday when we teach out here, there's hundreds of people that come. And of those hundreds of people, 
there's probably a chunk that are excited, they're taking notes, they're loving it. There's a chunk that doesn't care. There's a chunk that falls asleep. I see it every single Sunday. I shared with you the story one time before. I saw this woman one time just frantically taking notes. And I thought it was absolutely amazing. This is a completely true story. She was taking notes, taking notes, taking notes. And then I walk through the sanctuary usually at the end of church and pick up anything that's left and just try to pick up a little bit. And I saw where she was sitting. I saw her notes that she left. I looked at them and it was her grocery list. So she was frantically writing out her shopping list. And I always wanted to give it to her to say, look what the Lord laid on your heart. You know, but I didn't think that would be nice. You can't take it personally. You can't. So they reject you. I I don't know how many times Christians have come and said, well, I shared Jesus and it didn't go good. Okay, look at the last point. God love you, but toughen up a little bit here. Seriously, you've got to toughen up. That passage in Ezekiel chapter 2 and chapter 3, and we don't have time to get to it tonight. I encourage you to read it on your own. God tells Ezekiel, I have to make your heart hard. I have to make your head hard. Because you've got to be hard enough, tough enough to handle the ministry I'm giving you. You have to be able to handle rejection, Ezekiel. And he tells Ezekiel in Ezekiel 2 and Ezekiel 3, they will reject you, but you've got to be hard-headed, and you have to be able to handle that. Right now, we have too many Christians that aren't tough enough to present the gospel of Christ. They're, they're afraid of being rejected. They're afraid of offending. They're afraid of stepping on toes. They're afraid of losing friendships and family. And then if they do present it and it doesn't go well, they just quit. I tried it once. It didn't work. My goodness. We've got to be a little tougher. We have to be prepared to be rejected. We have to realize we can't take it personally. And it's not even presenting the gospel. It's also sometimes just presenting truth. A lot of times, the people I talk to are Christians. They claim to be Christ. They made a confession of Jesus. But their lifestyle is not matching up to their words. And so sometimes you've got to go to them and say, I love you enough to tell you this isn't right. I can't take it personally if they reject. I can't take it personally if they leave the church. I can't take it personally when they get mad and say, well, Pastor James just is mean and nasty and all this other type of stuff. I can't. I have to present the truth, spirit-led and in love. Don't forget those words. Truth, spirit-led, and in love. So what happens when you find yourself getting a little weary? Well, look at Jeremiah here. Look at verse 32. Jeremiah took another scroll, gave it to Baruch, the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote on it all at the instruction of Jeremiah, all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And besides, there were added to them many similar words. Jeremiah did not grow weary. He rewrote the scroll. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, right there, Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Boy, Lord, give us the strength to stay the course, fight the good fight, and to not give up. Oh, man, there's so often we give up. Yeah, you know what? That family member may not have responded the right way. Don't give up. You may have tried for days, weeks, months. Don't give up. You may have clearly communicated the gospel and they rejected it. Don't give up. That's the beauty of the Lord. Don't give up. Last verse I'm going to share, Psalm 27, and I'm done. If you could flip to Psalm 27. Does anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything that we covered here tonight with Jeremiah or anything along this line? All righty. Jeremiah, excuse me, Psalm 27. This is what I call a refrigerator verse. 
I was actually doing some counseling with somebody recently, and they were going through a very, very difficult time. And this person told me that they were, this was their life verse. And that they were a great example of serving through the struggle. Here I was sitting with them, trying to encourage them in their difficult time, and they shared this verse that actually encouraged me. I love this verse. If you're going through any type of difficult time, this is a great verse for you. Psalm 27, verses 13 and 14. It said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. What a great passage. I'm not going to grow weary in doing good. I'm not going to take it personally. I'm going to toughen up when it comes to presenting Christ and the truth. I'm going to be spirit-led. I'm going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to communicate clearly the truth of the gospel. I'm going to serve even though I'm struggling myself. And I'm going to understand that I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to have some that are obedient. And I'm not going to let their response control me. I'm just going to present the truth. Some great, great stuff there. Jeremiah is a wonderful example of just being a light and a witness in a very difficult time. So next week, we're going to get in chapters 37 and 38 and uh, get some good stuff here as we're getting towards the end of the book of Jeremiah. Anybody have any final questions, comments here about anything that we covered tonight? All right, let's close with prayer and we'll let you guys go. Heavenly Father, good to be here. Help us to truly be that light and a witness in all that we say and all that we do. Help us to be spirit-led, speaking the truth in love. And Lord, if you are laying somebody on our heart right now that we need to have a conversation with, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to never compromise on what's right, but to truly speak the truth in love through the Spirit and to help that person to make good, godly choices in you. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. All right, you guys have a good week and God bless.